In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today is the third Sunday of Baba, and today's gospel is also read in the third Sunday of Pa'un, um, approximately four months ago or so. So this is a really important gospel, so that it's twice on the church Sunday readings. So Christ is continuing to prevail in this story, in his ministry, performing all sorts of miracles, and his fame was growing and his following was also growing. So they caused a lot of jealousy among those who were in authority at that time. So he was performing miracles with nature, with healings, with raising people from the dead, and power over the spiritual realm, as well as calling forth the saints of old to, uh, to you know, come out and cast out demons. So no one in human history ever accomplished these kind of things. Um, and no one in human history has ever given authority to other human beings to do such things. But it's no surprise to those, of course, who have faith. We know that Christ created the universe. We know that he's the one who performed the miracles in the Old Testament. And he's the one who uh, also performs it in our presence as well. So in this case, uh, a person was brought to him who was demon-possessed, he was blind, and he was mute. He couldn't speak. So Christ healed this miserable person and delivered him from being demon-possessed as well. So it was probably a very, uh, very torturous thing that he was going through. And because of his great power, he was showing among the people, and because of his fame, <clears throat> the Pharisees became very, very jealous of him. And they said in the Gospel of St. John, the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. <clears throat> These words, they, little did they know, of course, were uh, very prophetic, as the world did eventually uh, believe in him. Because of their envy, they didn't criticize uh, the act of kindness that he did when he healed this uh, miserable person. But uh, on the other hand, they criticized the giver of that healing, um, the doer of the good act. They attack Christ himself. It's kind of how we see today, because of its election year, we see that the politicians, they attack their um, opponent's personality. They attack uh, who they are, but they don't attack their issues, right? They, they kind of, as a diversion, they attack the person rather than the issues that they stand for in their platform. Um, so they don't, they don't care themselves about the issues, just about obtaining power and approval of the people. Um, we see that on all sides, right? It's not taking one side over the other. They're, they're all doing that. So politicians generally do that. Uh, here the Pharisees do the same thing because they desperately sought the approval of the multitude. They cared about the multitude. They cared about the power, and they cared about what people thought of them. So they attacked the person of Christ, um, not the act that he did, the good act that he did. They attacked his, um, his person himself with outrageous statements. Uh, but no one was able to criticize the actual acts of kindness that he did. But they attributed Christ's liberating and freeing of this poor, miserable person, um, this act of kindness and love, to Satan. Uh, it kind of seems insane that they would do something like that. But we show that same kind of silliness when we care too much about what other people think, uh, when we become a slave to what other people think. We shape our character, our actions, and everything we do around what we imagine others are thinking and we place a great value on what we imagine they are thinking. Instead, let's seek that everlasting glory and favor from God who deeply desires to honor us in the eyes of not just himself but uh, of men and angels and even in our uh, eyes of our enemies who uh, gives us more precious and joyous gifts than any multitude can give us even if they approve of us. So, but this wasn't the first time, of course, that um, 
they accuse Christ of this. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, they accused him of the same thing, but he doesn't respond. But here he does re respond, and he gives various refutations or arguments against what they claimed against him. So first, he read their thoughts. So only God, of course, can read thoughts. Then they should have paused at the fact that they that Christ called them out on what they were thinking without speaking anything. They should have right there paused and understood who he was. The second thing that he said to them is that the apostles themselves also performed the same miracles, and yet they did not criticize them. So he calls them out on the hypocrisy. Again, they're not focusing on the acts of kindness, freeing people that were in misery, but they were attacking Christ himself. So they had no issues with this with these acts when others were doing it, but when Christ was doing it, uh, freeing those in torment, they brought this absurd accusation against against him. Our Lord gave power, of course, to the apostles to perform to perform healings and exorcisms, uh, as He does uh, today as well. God gives us such great authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and upon all the power of the enemy. The third thing He says, He says, um, "How can a, how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and plunder his house?" Christ comes and tackles and binds the strong man, which of course is Satan, so that he can take back what was stolen from God in the first place. Our ever-victorious Lord Jesus Christ uh, makes open war against Satan and all of his evil powers. And, and he bound him uh, through the cross and gave, gave us power to wage war as well and to help us take back what was stolen from God and uh, what belongs to God. Because as Christians, we are not afraid of Satan, of course. Uh, for he is uh, he who is in, uh, inside of us is stronger than he who is in the world. Uh, but of course, when we do wage war, we have to wage war in a proper way with faith and in the name of Jesus Christ, just like St. Paul said, who cast out the demon by saying, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Or like when St. Peter said to the begging cripple, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And also, of course, we read in the story of St. Anthony uh, while he was praying in the desert how the demons would appear in all, shorps, uh, all shapes and noises and things like that in the middle of the night to terrify Anthony. But the mere mention of Christ or Jesus or God or the cross, they immediately vanish. The fourth thing that he mentions, too, is that Christ is openly opposed entirely to what Satan stands for. Christ says that he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Christ is so dramatically opposed to Satan and his evil ways that it adds to the craziness of the accusation. Satan wants an overreaching evil trend in society. He wants that general trend to go in the wrong direction with corrupt values, beliefs, and norms, promiscuity, we deal with now with transgender issues, hate, confusion, violence. We see all these things today, right, on the news when we look at the news. These are qualities that Satan loves to sow in societies and, and loves it. Without debate, this is what he stands for. Our Lord Jesus Christ was against all of this, right? Christianity is against all of this. The Christian stands against all of these, even sometimes alone, but he stands against all of these things. Finally, he says a universal truth, which we'll talk a little bit more about today. His universal truth that he says that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. That if Satan is divided against Satan, how can his kingdom stand? This goes for everything, though, for kingdoms, for nations, for families, for churches. All are more vulnerable when divided with conflict. 
We have to avoid that kind of conflict that divides us because we are all weaker when that happens. God deeply desires this uh, unity. Uh, as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says that they may that they all may be one as you father are in me and I in you that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me in Ephesians chapter 4 St. Paul says endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace he says bond in order to signify you know how strong that unity should be uh, this is the kind of love sacrifice and unity the apostles practice the kind that was taught and practiced by Christ and that we should obtain with work, right? Because sometimes it's not easy to keep that unity among ourselves. There are a thousand obstacles to uh, threaten the love that's between us, that unity that's between us, as much as there are a thousand faults in each of us. And these faults kind of come to the surface and they, they divide us. On top of that, our enemy loves to sow the seeds of division and to divide and conquer. He, he uses that ancient uh, strategy of dividing and conquering. Uh, he instills those seeds of division on a daily basis, right? He's always constantly throwing thoughts into people to divide. Dividing is one of his main priorities. He's, his seeds are pride and envy and dispute and lack of love, all of these things he puts inside of us. Uh, but though he may plant it inside of us, he can do that. It's up to us to allow it to grow or not. We should not allow those kind of seeds to grow. But we have to endeavor and labor to keep that unity. That unity has to be through labor. It's not something that's easy, but we should fight and struggle for it. Um, that unity which we have in each other with all the saints and angels in heaven as well, and with Christ himself most, most importantly, that we receive when we partake of the Eucharist. So especially within the body of Christ, uh, as uh, we are the body of his believers um, and we truly are the body of Christ when we partake of his body, the Eucharist, uh, we have to keep that unity. This is what God desires. This is how he unified all of his people uh, to his body through the sacraments of baptism and through the Eucharist, um, which confesses our common faith. And Christ's body, of course, can never be divided. So um, when we when unified as a church and a people, we can overcome every challenge with Christ. In Acts, uh, it says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord, with one accord, they were together as one in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. This describes a very beautiful picture of the early church. But the devil uses every that very old trick of dividing and conquering from the very early days of the church. It's been a struggle. St. Paul writes a lot about this in his epistles. For example, as we read today in the, in the book of Acts, um, there was the issue of the Jew versus Gentile. How do they accept Gentiles? Do the Gentiles first have to become Jewish before they can become Christians? It became such a sharp division within the early church that they had to hold a council in Jerusalem about it, which we read about today. Um, so that was one example of, of one type of division that occurred. Another one, too, uh, it's a very interesting one that St. Paul talks about. There was an instance when a division uh, came about through competition. Some were saying that they were baptized by St. Paul. Others were bragging that they were baptized by Cephas, St. Peter. Others were uh, bragging that they were being baptized by Apollos, St. Apollos. So I'll read you what St. Paul says. He says, Now I plead with you, brethren, I beg you, brethren, 
by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal people, as to babies in Christ. So you guys were not mature, so I could not speak mature things to you, because you have all these divisions among you. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you are not able to receive solid food, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal, you are still worldly. For where there are envy and strife and conflict and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am, I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? So, on the outside, people always come up with a justification for dividing, right? When they cause, when they're the cause of a division, they always come up with a justification. In this case, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, St. Peter, or I am Jew, or I am Gentile. Today we see it, I am Republican, I am Democrat, or I'm of this race or that race. All these things kind of justify their, um, their divisions. People feel so justified with their cause that it quenches even their own conscience. That reason to divide it quenches their own conscience in their dealings with other people. It's even more sad when we see that in the body of Christ, when we dare to allow such things to enter into the church. We should never allow these things to divide us. No matter what these so-called justifications are, St. Paul teaches us in the verse I just read, that the true reasons for these divisions is carnality. What is carnality? Worldliness. I care about the flesh, I care about the world, and not living a spiritual life, but a carnal life. What are the symptoms of this carnality, worldliness, and not being spiritual? It's envy, strife, conflict, and divisions. And because they were carnal, St. Paul says, they were not able to hear the truths of the gospel. They were still being fed with milk rather than the solid food. But sometimes the initiators of these divisions are not the only ones to blame, right? The listeners as well are to blame who allow it to happen, allow these divisions to happen, they're also to blame. And we need to be watchful for this. So if someone comes to you and he wants to backstab and divide, realize that their ambitions are very carnal, they're very worldly, they're not spiritual, especially when, uh, if God forbid, it, it happens in the church. So don't give them ear. Don't give them your ear. In Psalm 52 it says, love, You love all devouring words, O you, defeat, o you deceitful tongue. You love all devouring words, O you deceitful tongue. So we shouldn't be like these um, this deceitful personality that likes to hear devouring words. So we shouldn't be like that gasoline on the fire encouraging a consuming fire. Uh, do not enjoy watching the destruction of others when somebody comes to you and backstabs and, and tries to divide. We shouldn't be eager to even listen or to judge, or to like, be too eager to find uh, fault in others, or be too eager to judge others. Uh, maybe as we, we do that sometimes as a way to avoiding looking at our own weaknesses and our own shortcomings, so we look, we're eager to find the faults of others. Uh, we enjoy finding the faults of others. Um, but as St. Paul says in Romans, But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So if we're approached by those who aggressively and arrogantly want to divide, we must find courage to not listen and refuse to listen. 
uh, we, we could do so by changing the subject. That's probably the easiest way and less, less confrontational way. But the more effective way, I think, is to tell the backstabber outright that you don't want to hear about the shortcomings of others or his reasons for dividing, especially within the church. Can we endure if somebody comes to you and says, I have this really juicy piece of information and I really want to tell you it's about somebody else? Our antennas automatically go up and we want to listen, right? But if he told you that it's really juicy, it's really interesting, do you want to listen? And then he says, but it's about your mom. It's about your dad or sister or brother or your son or daughter or your friend or neighbor. How would you react? You would quickly, those antennas would go down and you'd go into that person's face and say, you better not say anything about my family or, or my friends. But we should have this attitude towards everyone. We should have that same attitude. So that outright um, letting them know that you don't want to listen is very effective. As in Proverbs chapter 25, it says, The north wind drives away rain, so does an angry continence, a backbiting tongue. So divisions of humanity has played out throughout history, uh, even within the church. The enemy is always sowing those seeds of division. Because when we divide, we are weaker. When we're divided, we're weaker. As Christ said in today's gospel, every city or house divided against itself will not stand. As a nation, as Christians, as a church, as families, as humanity in general, we should always seek unity. Even now, we look at other churches that are really struggling with unity, right? We, uh, we see, for example, the Armenian church and the Syrian church struggling. We see the Indian Orthodox church study. We, we see Catholics now are on the verge of another big division because of what Pope Francis said about um, uh, civil, civil unions. Um, and, you know, the Eastern Church with the Russian breaking away from the other Orthodox churches, it's div dividing. You see Satan even at the macro level, at the highest level, trying to divide and make weaker. Thank God our church has been saved from that so far, but we shouldn't take that for granted. We should always pray for unity. We always pray and seek that, and we always look for those other divisions to be healed as well. Um, we pray in the St. Gregorian Liturgy, for example, that Christ heal all the divisions that threaten our church. So let's pray for that often. Let's always include unity in the church, unity among the church universe all over the world, and those divisions be healed. So may God grant us the discernment to realize that unity is to be preserved at all costs and at all efforts, and must be labored for at all times, and maintained through God's grace, to whom be glory forever. Amen.